Good afternoon to everybody and welcome to the Language of Acceptance webinar. My name is Tracy and my co-host today is my lovely Stephanie. Hi everybody. Thank you for joining us today on this somewhat rainy Thursday afternoon. Yes, it really is very rainy today, but at the same time, it makes us feel so cozy and relaxed. So I'm looking forward to our chat together. Thank you. We are deeply grateful to have each and every one of you joining us for this really important topic that both Stephanie and myself are extremely passionate about. And uh, you will see that as we break down the session today and how we, we get through it with all our questions. So we would like to invite you to just sit back and relax with a lovely cup of tea or a coffee in a space that makes you feel calm, comfortable and ready for this lovely conversation. I would also like to introduce Stephanie a little bit more so you guys can get to know her. Stephanie's a mom of two and she is one of our Eaton House uh, Broderick parents. As a parent educator, she has 15 years of experience in this education industry, both teaching children and adults, which is phenomenal. With the arrival of her own children, she was inspired to work more holistically in supporting families within the respectful and mindful parenting community. Stephanie hosts parenting clubs, she facilitates workshops, she counsels in online parenting forums, and she organizes playgrounds in nature so families can access ongoing support with your parenting journey. As a parent effective trainer and self-reg with Dr. Shankus, she is a student and is a strong advocate for authenticity in parenting, encouraging parents to reflect on their own experiences while teaching some of the principles to raising children in a peaceful, connected and respectful way. Absolutely amazing, Steph. I'm so happy to have you here with me today. We are really incredibly lucky to have your time. So thank you. Thank you, Tracy, for that wonderful introduction. It's now my turn to share a little bit more about you. So Tracy brings 14 years of experience to her teaching and learning leadership across kindergarten and primary, both in Singapore and South Africa. That's what that little chime is that we can hear. Yes. She joined Eaton House as a lead teacher and has helped to develop a program for children and teachers and families across the past six years. So she's progressively moved through a range of valuable roles from teacher to senior teacher and now currently curriculum coordinator at Eaton House over on Sentosa. She leads the Mindfulness and Wellbeing Committee, which I would really like to speak to you more about that, at her campus on Sentosa with the Contentment Foundation and took part in co-writing a wonderful article on respectful parenting, which is helpful on the Eaton, uh, with helpful tools, which is available on the Eaton House website. So with tools that moms and dads can try at home. This has afforded her a deep knowledge of the school program, culture and context. So without further ado, our first discussion question is what are feelings and what are their purpose? Wonderful, such a big question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Important question to get us started. So absolutely, Steph and I really unpack this together. And for us, feelings and emotions is all about communication. It is a human form of self-expression. And uh, when we look at it through that lens, it really opens us up into understanding emotions with more depth, more empathy, uh, really considering the what is happening, the why it's happening, 
and the how we can move forwards together. So the what, the why, and the how is something we will unpack progressively through our conversation today. And when we're looking at the what are emotions or what are feelings, emotions help us to really express ourselves in different situations so that we are able to make sense of this complex world that we are living in every day. It helps us make sense of who we are as people when we encounter different moments, both positive and challenging moments that happen with people, with environments, with spaces. So emotions are really important to our sense of identity. It tells us who we are, what we have to offer, what we, we bring to the table. And it really informs children as they get older of who they will become, you know, by these choices that they are making throughout these challenging moments and throughout these moments that really test um, and experiment with different situations and feelings. So emotions are extremely important for all of us, both children and for adults. When I started, I shared that emotions are a human connection. This is something that just normalizes it for all of us. Whatever children are going through, we go through as well. So the purpose is that there is no difference between an adult and a child emotion, um, except that as adults, we are really skilled in terms of activating that tool belt that we have with strategies. We can initiate those strategies in different situations very quickly or calmly, or we know what is socially appropriate. For children, they are still unpacking this, they are still figuring it out. So it's about us really having compassion for this process um, and building this time in to help them work through these emotions together. They are essential to building our resilience. Um, it builds our sense of grit and it gives us a positive sense of awareness, our self-esteem, which also informs the way that we interact with others. We gauge different people's emotions. We feel different vibes from one another. And so that really informs our thinking without saying anything, just by gestures and by um, body languages, we are able to pick up emotions very quickly. And children are masters at picking up these different vibes and feelings. So when children have, or when they do display emotions, we have a very important role as an adult um, because children are constantly analyzing us. They're imitating us. They are figuring out how we respond to certain situations and they're gauging the cause and effect. They're testing these um, experiences for themselves, with their peers, with teachers, with other adults that they know. And they are forming um, themselves with an opinion of what is working, what is effective, and how they feel along this journey. So it is really important for us to acknowledge that emotions are little clues that really tell us the why we might be say, seeing behaviors popping up in a certain way. They are clues that inform what we could do next as an approach together and how we are going to acknowledge these emotions um, no matter how they are being displayed, whether it's through verbal expression, um, through sounds, you know, a screeching sound or a gruff sound or through their body language and how they might display it physically. Most importantly, no matter who we are, whether we are children or adults, 
When we have big emotions, we always need to feel safe. We need to feel that we are understood, even if it is still complicated. And we need to feel loved and accepted. And um, this is really important for Steph and I. We go back and forth on this um, with parents because even in the moment, it can be quite challenging. But by ensuring that we provide these moments of safety, security, understanding, and the love that is there, no matter what the emotion is, it gives them that opportunity to really feel accepted. Yeah. Can I just add to something there, Tracy? Yeah, lovely. Everything you've said to, till now is just pointing out that we should try not to be, I don't like to use the word should, but try not to be scared of our children's emotions. That they're just fluid and they're just passing through. Yeah. And they're not going to be angry forever or frustrated forever. It'll pass. So that to see it as a message, which is exactly what you're saying. They, those emotions will always be there. They're healthy. They're part of human interaction. But not to be scared of them and just use them as a message, as you've quite rightly said. Yeah, absolutely. It's those messages that we keep looking out for, um, those little triggers that get us to really understand those clues a little bit more deeply or understand our child a little bit more deeply. What works for them? What maybe might have caused the situation? So how do we acknowledge these challenging behaviors when it is your child's way of communicating and expressing them, themselves um, is something that we will uh, get into as we have this discussion together. But I would definitely like to start off with, it is the way that we choose to respond to these situations, the way we, we respond to these emotions, these feelings that we are noticing. And um, we rather choose to respond rather than react to certain situations because reacting is from an emotional standing point. When we respond, we have taken time to really think about what we are choosing to say. So if we are thinking about what we are choosing to say in a moment that might be challenging while your child is having a particular emotion or you are feeling a particular emotion, it's important for us to acknowledge our language so we're going to bring up a little quote from Brooke Hampton. It's a gorgeous quote about how we acknowledge when we are speaking to children as if they are the wisest, the kindest, and the most beautiful and magical human beings on earth. Because what they believe is what they will become. And that's where this role modeling comes from, how we speak to them, what we say, the words that we choose to use, all informs their, their thinking and their sense of identity of who they feel they are. So our, we are giving ourselves or our words a lot of power in these situations. And we really need to take time to consider what we are saying, how we say it, the tone that we use. Are we using a calm tone or are we reacting with a quick, sharp response? When we think about our words, we need to just take a few seconds. We need to pause. We need to breathe. We need to reflect. And then we need to engage. As an adult, these steps happen quite quickly for us. And we can move through that quite easily. In certain moments, in certain moments, it doesn't happen because real life is happening all around us all the time. But it's just nice to know for yourself and to be kind to yourself that you can give yourself time to respond to a situation. You don't need to respond instantly to fix it. So we are role modeling effective communication. 
we are narrating to children what we see, what we hear, and what we think might be going on, what might be swirling around their bodies. And this helps them to really be, or for us to be advocates for their voice, that little inner voice that's happening inside their bodies, we can express that for them and give them vocabulary. So the purpose of emotions or feelings is knowing and understanding that feelings are accepted, no matter who we are, no matter where we are, and no matter when this happens. Acceptance for all our perspectives and all our opinions, because ultimately in the world out there, this is what we need to do with one another. We are collaborating as adults, we are having meetings, we are listening to different perspectives, and we need to find out how to work together and um, support one another, even when we have these emotions. So for our second question, and as we unpack this more, I'm sure that this will become a lot more clearer with Steph's wonderful approach as well. We are going to look at what happens when feelings are denied. Yeah, that's another big question, isn't it, Tracy? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's something that we come across a lot, actually. So I love this question, uh, but before I dive in, I'd just like to say that I'll be sharing some personal experiences and examples throughout this discussion to help bring things a little bit more to life because we're all parents here trying our best here to raise our children. And sometimes a personal example can help the community feel that you're not the only one at home struggling with another child. So back to the question, what happens when feelings are denied? So if we are in agreement with what Tracy just said, if we agree that feelings are signals, they're messages in our body that, are sent, that we're sending out saying something is not okay here. I need to get, have some awareness of what's happening. I'm not feeling quite okay. I'm not feeling quite right. So what happens when feelings are denied or ignored and not accepted by others? So the opposite of what Tracy just explained. So what happens is that emotions are repressed and they're buried deeply within us and they build on top of each other. They might get mixed around, they might collide against each other, but the pressure starts building. And when we reach boiling point, it might be one small incident and then we explode. So the explosion that can happen for both parents and children sometimes feels like it comes from nowhere and often parents say everything was fine they went from zero to 100 in one second i don't know what happened my favorite analogy here is that of a kettle so imagine your child is the kettle and every time a feeling comes up and is denied it goes into the kettle so for instance you got poor feedback from your friend about your recent haircut disappointment goes into the kettle you saw a scary witch on the front of the book cover in the library. Fear goes into the kettle. Your granny is in hospital really sick, feeling quite worried and anxious, into the kettle. And over time, the kettle gets fuller and hotter and the emotions collide, making them all worse. They get all mixed up and it's almost full. And then the moment at breakfast where you tell your child that there's no more peanut butter for their toast, that's it. They explode, boom, explosion. And that last bit of disappointment was what caused them to overflow and just all the emotions to come spilling out. The thing is, is that we fear the pain of these emotions. Our children do, watching them, feeling them, it's very painful to watch sometimes. And as the person experiencing it, we often get angry at ourselves for having them. Why do I feel so horrible? The more we repress them, the more we resist them, and the more pain we feel. And it can actually have bad effects for our long-term well-being with chronic pain and with chronic illnesses where if we are not releasing the emotions 
we can have symptoms later on. So we need to be able to recognize and modulate our emotions. So when you watch your firstborn pop their baby sibling on the nose and it came out of nowhere and seemingly unprovoked by this baby that's just goo goo gar going on the floor, remember that all behavior is communication. Tracy said it, I'm gonna say it again and we'll probably repeat it. All behavior that your child is presenting is a type of communication. And instead of judging them in that moment for being a big body, as Tracy mentioned, let's be curious, let's understand what is happening and why is it happening right now. So let me give you a real life example of a kettle explosion for my daughter, who just recently turned six. And back in August, she was five and she just joined into the house. And the first 10 days of school, she had the following things going into a kettle, not knowing who the bus driver was or the kids on her bus. Mm. So social stressor in the, in the kettle. Arriving at school, not knowing where to put her books, not understanding the teacher's expectations, cognitive stressor in the bucket. Uh, not knowing what the food was going to be like, or she's going to get a snack, or where to go to the toilet. All of these things were hugely stressful for her. So what happened when she got home? Her kettle, yeah, the steam just came pouring out, and it was just one thing after another, and it, it released a little bit, um, which helped to go to sleep that night, but then it would start again the next day until things settled. So that's a very normal response. There's a lot of things going on in her brain and her body during that period. And different kids react differently. So on the plus side of having an explosion, if we can see the positives, is that following the storm of an emotional explosion often comes the calm. So those feelings are released just enough to reduce the pressure. But if more feelings are denied in the future, it can just continue the pattern of behavior. So the only real way for the uncomfortable feelings to go away is for them to be heard, to be brought out into the day, light of day and to be talked about. And that can be really uncomfortable for them and for us, which is why we call them uncomfortable feelings. So as parents, we're so quick to fix our child's uncomfortable feelings and block them and say, it's going to be okay or tomorrow's another day or whatever it be. But we keep denying those feelings and we deny the child the opportunity to process them and express it himself. So in what ways are we as parents denying these feelings? So I want to give you a trigger warning here. I'm about to give you some examples of things that parents normally say. Now, um, you might hear yourself said this thing before because they are blanket expressions, default expressions that we may have been taught growing up. My purpose here isn't to judge you. It's to raise awareness of the language that you might be using, which Tracy was talking about earlier. So awareness is always the first step of change. So if you do feel triggered by anything that I've said, please give yourself some self-compassion, deal with your trigger, and then come back to us if you can. So I'd like you to join me in a group activity. I'm going to give you a real life example of something that happened to my daughter recently and share with you some possible responses to her feelings. So the real life example is one of her best pals, we'll call her Billy, because I'm protecting the child's name here, but it'll be obvious to everyone else. So Billy and my daughter blow hot and cold, they're really great friends and then they fall out. They're both dominant females, they both like to be play. One day my daughter came to me and she said, um, Billy, Billy told me she didn't want to play with me anymore, she doesn't want to be my friend. Floods of tears. I, I, I'm really upset, mommy. So if your child came to you and said that, which they might have done in the past, I want you to think about right now, just a few moments, including you, Tracy, 
on how you would respond to that, what your gut reaction would be. So the sentence is, Billy said she doesn't want to play with me anymore and she doesn't want to be my friend. What would your reaction be? I think instantly a reaction that comes to mind for me, Steph, would be, it's okay, don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Very typical, very typical response. And then that's going to be one that I'm about to, to raise to the whole audience. So as I, as I give you some um, possible responses, I want you to pretend to be the child in the situation because it helps when you're empathetic to put yourself in the child's shoes. So I'd like you to consider, as I'm giving you some typical responses to that sentence that my daughter came to me with, I want you to think, how does it make me feel when my parent speaks to me like this? And is it helpful? Is it helping me come to a solution here? The first one is, stop feeling so sorry for yourself. What did you expect would happen when you called her Willy Billy? That's ordering. Next one. You'd better learn to be nicer to your friends or you won't have any less. Warning or threatening. Ah, well, you win some, you lose some. There are plenty more friends in the sea. It's moralizing. Why don't you just go and say sorry, love? It's advising, giving solutions. Well, when you bully your friend and call her names, why would she play with you? Bully's like, you don't deserve to have friends. You can't be kind. That was quite painful to say. Judging, mm, yes. criticizing, and blaming. This is one that Tracy just did. Don't worry, my love. I'm sure it'll work itself out. Cheer up. That one's reassuring, which what a lot of us do. Yeah. And the last one is, what happened? What did she say exactly? What did you say? Why did you say that? So many questions stops them from thinking and feeling. So these are examples selected from Dr. Thomas Gordon, who's a clinical psychologist and pioneer in communication between parents and children. And he talks about the 12 roadblocks of communication. Now I just selected a few there, um, the, the ones that I thought were the most impactful. Mm. The, the concept of roadblock is so apt because that's exactly what it does to the communication. The child is coming to you with a problem. My friend says she doesn't want to be my friend anymore. And we are denying and blocking that, the experience of sharing that and then allowing to express their feeling. It stops the flow of communication between the child and parent. So as you heard um, these responses from me, I'm intrigued to know, Tracy, how you felt in, when I was speaking to you, with any of them stood out and was it helpful as a child? I think definitely the criticizing and judging um, and also it comes through with your tone. The way that you've said it, it really informs my thinking about, oh, you know, I've made a huge mistake. So I might self-criticize or I might feel unheard where I'm trying to actually problem solve and you've just asked me a million questions and I'm still trying to deal with the fact that Billy doesn't want to be my friend, you know? So you're definitely the, the way that you've said it and um, your tone and the words that you've chosen to use um, are something that we hear, what we say all the time. It's Sometimes it's just innate. It just pops out of our mouths and that's also okay because it's all about the reflection, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and if you're sat there thinking, I say to some of these things because they are gut reactions, then you can reflect on it and you can repair. You can say, sorry, I didn't mean to say yes. that. I mean, if you want to tell me again what happened, I'm sorry you feel like that. So I think in this exact, in this actual example, um, I, she came to me and I think I said something like, you sound so upset. Do you have to mirror the level of upset? So it can be, oh, you sound really upset. It has to be, you sound so upset by this happening. Um, and 
that Billy doesn't want to be your friend anymore. That's so sad. And then she started, that opened up the conversation. So between us, she then she admitted I did call, she'd said not to call her Billy Willy. She didn't like it and I carried on. So I think I'm going to go back to her house and with an apology. And then <laughs> this is the beauty, this is the beauty of just hearing them out. Her, her apology, part of it was going to grab a bunch of her stuff and home and going around to Billy's house. Yeah, I would never have come up with that. I would, have, I would have just said, go say sorry and write her a note to say sorry. But she had this whole thing because they have a connection with hair, but that was how she would have apologised to her. Oh, so isn't that was lovely? Authentic. That was a win on that day in our house. And Jack that's her even just acknowledging her friend and knowing her friend and her identity and how she can rebuild that rupture. Yes, absolutely. So many strategies that she went through there. Yeah, so just to summarize my topic of what happens when feelings are denied. So you have been reflecting hopefully on some reflect on how you felt when your feelings were blocked and denied. I want to share that when I'm upset and hurt, the last thing I want is someone to give me advice, someone to give me judgment, yes. someone to blame or preach to me, because it only makes me feel worse, it just adds to my stress. What helps me feel better and the children are exactly the same is a listening ear so that we can express ourselves. And then during that expression, you can often come up with a solution if you have a problem. So as I said, my daughter came up with a solution on her. So listening with understanding and empathy is not something that comes naturally to most of us because of how we were raised. And often our feelings might have been denied. So to become fluent, it really takes practice. And Tracy and I will be looking at this in more tips and tricks at the end of the discussion. So yes. don't lose hope. Absolutely. That is such a lovely way to tie in with the power of our language, the importance of our words. But yeah. going through, you know, the different ways that we can block children's um, emotions. While you are thinking about those, you are pausing. You are taking time to reflect on your response. And that will give you more of an authentic connection with your child. So that's fabulous, Steph. And I'm wondering, now that we know um, what feelings are, the purpose of feelings, and how they can be, be denied or blocked, why is it that listening and empathy help to calm us enough to see things more clearly? What actually happens in the brain? And I know this is something that you are really passionate about. So um, what happens to the brain when these big emotions really do take over our whole body? so much happens in the brain and I the reason I feel so passionate about this is because when I first learned what happens in the brain of a human when we feel overwhelmed it totally helped me reframe my child's behavior so I looked at them in a totally different way so that's why I feel so it's so important for parents to know and if you can just reframe your child's behavior just a little bit it'll help yeah. as you say respond instead of just react in the moment so let me give you an example of a very recent learning that my husband had on Sunday night when my son was having a tantrum before bed. <laughs> he, um, he said to me, you know, I was in there and he just was screaming at me and I just said, well, if you carry on, I'm going to take away that Lego hotel. Got mm. and there'll be no East of Chocolates for the whole week. <laughs> and he said, as I said it, he just got more mad and more upset and more screaming. And he said, I, I don't normally threaten, I'd said nothing. I don't normally threaten. And I was thinking, no, you don't. Um, I just, it just doesn't work. Because I don't think in that moment he could actually stop himself. And I yeah. went, yeah, so you just had an aha moment. So let me explain why in that moment our children can't stop themselves. So I'm going to be using Dr. Dan Siegel's 
um, talk about flipping the lid, which is how he describes what happens in that moment when we totally lose control. Yep. So Dan Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry and his teachings help parents understand the complexities of the brain in a really simple way. And it helps us how, how we view our children. So I'd like to share with you an image, a really simplified image of the brain. I'm not a neuroscientist or a psychiatrist, but this is why I like this really simple example of the brain. So what he says that he um, describes the upstairs and the downstairs part of the brain. So the upstairs part of the brain is responsible for your reasoning, logic, regulation, and your downstairs part is responsible for feelings. So the upstairs helps to regulate the downstairs in normal circumstances. So they, it would always be linked together. However, when you start to feel irritated and frustrated, our downstairs brain just starts to fire at the upstairs brain and unsettles it. And once it's had too much, like the kettle, it flips. And in a matter of seconds, you go from being totally reasonable to losing control. And I think we can all be familiar with that. So your brain feels like it's handling an emergency. That's really important. The downstairs brain has three options, fight, flight, or freeze. And this is a really, really beautiful survival instinct from back in the day, where if there was a real emergency like a fire, we had no, we'd have no time to think about it, we'd just run. But a child um, breaking their biscuit in two when they wanted to eat a whole biscuit or being the last one to get to the slide is not an emergency, but that's how our brains interpret it. But our brains are telling our children that this is an emergency and this is called emotional flooding. So the feeling part of the brain, the limbic system, has taken over. And once your lid has flipped or your child's lid has flipped, the downstairs brain takes over and these are all the things that your child can't do in that moment. So this is also for children having a meltdown, but also could be that they feel so overwhelmed by something. They might not be kicking and screaming all the same. So they hear, they can't hear the words that you're saying because their body's response has taken over. They can't apply logic. So if you try to explain to them why hitting their brother is not okay, they can't process that logic right there. They can't understand any threats of punishment, which is why my husband giving a threat of punishment in that moment wasn't working. If you say to them, if you continue to scream, you'll lose the iPad for a week, they have no executive functioning. The upstairs brain, cannot apply reasoning. They can't stop themselves. The downstairs brain has taken over and it won't stop until it feels safe and has calmed down. So by telling them to calm down and to stop, this behavior won't work. It's a survival response, not a choice. They're not making a choice in this moment. They're too overwhelmed. So this doesn't make them bad or naughty. They just have no self-control in that moment. Now, my favorite quote from Dr. Stuart Shanker, who I'm currently studying, he's a pioneer in self-regulation and understanding the impacts of stress on children. He says they aren't giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. So if you can reframe your child's behavior in that moment, which you might find very triggering, then you can change your perspective and how you react to it. So you can just take a breath. At this point, parents often say and question, but I need to let them know that that behavior is not acceptable. It's not acceptable to hit your brother. It's not acceptable to throw things across the room. It's just not acceptable to shout at me and call me names. And yes, it absolutely is important to teach them the difference between appropriate and inappropriate behavior. But right then in that moment, there's no point because they can't, their brain can't handle it. So the first thing you must do is to connect with your child before you can correct any behavior. The correction can come later on when everyone's calm, it can come the next day or a moment of calmness between you before bedtime. 
So the first step always has to be to help calm them and regulate them. But just forget the actual behaviour and you can come back to that. Yeah. Children need an adult to do this with them. Yeah. We learn to co-regulate before we can regulate on our own. And even as adults, sometimes we still need a cuddle from the person we love to yes. help regulate us. Yeah. We are we are still learning this too. So now we understand a little bit more about what happens when emotions take over. That leads us nicely onto question question four, which is for you, Tracy. What are the biggest uncomfortable feelings children have? Steph, I just, I love that. I'm just going to tag back in. I love how you mentioned that they, even as adults or older children, they are still, we are all still working on our self-regulation. This is a process. This is a journey. This is dependent on any or every single situation because every situation is unique so it's um even though children only develop their cortex from age three to six years old um that is when the cortex is still actually being developed even past that age group and even as we go into adults it is important for all of us just to acknowledge that we still need help sometimes and we still need to make decisions that will help get us through those big emotions. So definitely the most uncomfortable feelings are anger, fear, frustration, disappointment, irritation, shame, and jealousy is another one. So as we mentioned, it is important to acknowledge emotions because all emotions are a way for us to express ourselves, even when it is these uncomfortable emotions. They are even more important to work through and unpack together. So anger, fear, frustration, disappointment, shame, embarrassment is another one. Jealousy and envy are uncomfortable feelings that also need to be accepted. We don't want to have a situation where children or ourselves as, as adults are displaying anger or frustration and we put a block on it because it just goes back into the kettle as Stephanie was sharing and that will all come up later again into a bigger explosion. So we need to accept these emotions. We need to acknowledge them for what they are, understand these emotions and why these emotions are currently swirling in our bodies, both for children and for adults. These are very normal emotions. There's nothing wrong with them. There's nothing different about it. They are us having a feeling towards something that we need to express. So after years of practice as adults, we are able to acknowledge them and find ways to self-regulate. We also go through a process of what we can do. For example, we're in the taxi and we're late for an appointment and the taxi driver takes the wrong route. You know, there's many ways that we can respond. There's many ways that we can use our words, our tone, and all of that will impact our next decision that we choose to make. If it comes out as something more um, negative or something that we are not happy with, it's great to reflect on those emotions and go, right, that was a hard moment for me. I really, I really let myself out and I let those emotions out, but I wonder what I can do next time. So as a child who has only been alive for 18 months or 48 months is a very short amount of time for us to put really high expectations on their response, on their choice on their decisions, on their reaction. 
And so we need to really unpack why these emotions are happening, these uncomfortable emotions. Um, as natural inquirers, children also want to figure out what is this feeling that is inside of me? What is happening in my body? I also don't know what it is. And so we can do that together. We can narrate it with them. We can give the, the emotion a name and it just helps them to form that sense of identity again and how they respond to it. So this for me comes back to our image of child and it is the way that we view children um, also informs the way that we approach different strategies. It informs the way that we use techniques and uh, how we respond to heightened moments of different uncomfortable emotions. So our image of child is if we see children as vulnerable, we might choose to block certain emotions that might come up because we want to solve it for them. We want to you know, help them with the problem. We want to either dismiss it and move on because time is running out, we're on to the next thing. Whereas if we see children as capable and confident communicators and go through the process of acknowledging these emotions, noticing these triggers, those clues that we are looking for, we are then able to recall these strategies together with our children and implement them with greater independence. So we're giving them that tool. We're giving them those strategies because we are talking through those moments with them. And ultimately we want this lovely belt around their waist, you know, where they have little strategies that they can pull out and test and try for different situations, test and try with different people because everyone responds differently to different reactions or responses that we have. So it comes back to those interactions. How do we communicate? How do we interact? But how do we do this where children take an active approach in their own learning, where they have a sense of agency and they feel empowered by the decisions that they are making, the choices that they are making. Just as your daughter, Steph, when she decided, I am going to make this up to my friend, I do feel really bad. And the way I'm going to do that is through something that I know will connect us back together. And that was through, you know, working with their hair. So it really is coming back to empowering our children. This can sometimes come into conflict for us as adults because we feel those emotions, as Stephanie was saying. We empathize with them. We want to solve the emotion together with them. Um, and we can also become quite frustrated by emotions that are coming out. So we might want to give in to their wants or their desires. I want sweets, I want sweets. That is a desire that wouldn't necessarily be what they need in the moment. So it might come out as I want sweets or I want to stamp my feet on the floor, but that is not necessarily what they actually need inside. Maybe inside they need a cuddle. Maybe inside they just need some space. Maybe inside they just need to work in a calming space with their cuddle friend or their Play-Doh or toys that help them to calm down and to just release those emotions. So it's a point just to note is that we might wanna give in to those desires, but that might not necessarily be what children need at that time. So I feel like that's a whole different workshop on oh, uh, yes. webinar on boundaries and boundary setting. <laughs>
Yes, we what can happens, do it. <laughs> what happens when your kid doesn't like a boundary you set? You said no sweets and they have a huge meltdown. That's a whole different workshop. Or sure, or in a restaurant when you're just like, okay, I'm going to give you the sweets so we can move on with our lives. <laughs> yeah. So what we can do is we can just narrate what we see. I can see by the way that you are stamping your feet on the ground that you might be feeling angry, that you might be feeling frustrated with mommy because mommy doesn't want to give you that sweet at the moment just because we are talking about sweets. I'm gonna use that as an example. So we narrate what we see. We narrate what we are hearing. I can hear by your loud voice or that screeching sound that you made that you are feeling uncomfortable. What do you need me to do right now? What can I help you with right now? What do you think might be a good solution for us to do together? And of course, with different ages, you would complicate your language with your child and you would give them those um, tools and strategies and choices that are suitable for their age. So we aim to build a strong sense of identity, a strong sense of self in our children. But while we are doing that, we need to demonstrate this ourselves because this is very easy to say. It's very easy to talk about and it is really challenging to do and to implement all the time. So it comes back to what Steph said about being kind to yourself and just knowing in those moments that you are doing the best that you can do in that moment. Your child is doing and showing the best that they can do in that uncomfortable moment and it is okay we will reflect on it later together we will come up with a plan and we will build those strategies into our tool belts when we are both ready so we need to express these emotions and our needs effectively with children we need to be honest with them and we need to try and do it as calmly as possible because we are able to self-regulate our our emotions easier than children. We need to role model these positive forms of communication and acknowledge the negative forms um, in our next steps of planning. So what this means is really about us taking a moment to reflect on the situation, to narrate what is happening and to give that time, pausing and um, then tuning into strategies. We don't want to do the strategies as Stephanie was saying too early on while the emotion is heightened because literally the brain is not ready for that. So something that we refer to is um, Calso's wheel. It is a great strategy we use in schools and many schools do choose to use this as well. Our parents have found this to be something really effective as a home tool. It is a great way to match strategies that are being tried at school with strategies that are being applied at home because more and more we want to bring those two worlds together for children with home and school and um, avoid that disconnect and that comes from communication and sharing between your class teachers what is happening there and what you are trying and trialing out with your hubby at home together as a family what works what doesn't work when does it work why did it work in that particular situation but that same strategy doesn't work in a different situation those are those little clues that we are looking for to better understand what our children need and not necessarily what they want so when uncomfortable feelings are heightened we might give them as i shared earlier some space do you need some space right now obviously for an 18 month old 
they are not able to go, yes, I need space, but maybe you might narrate it for them. Do you want to come and play with your dolls and have a little bit of a relax? Mommy can see by your body, you are feeling really angry now and that's okay. When you are ready, then we can sit together. Do you want mommy to give you a cuddle? Do you want to have some, do you want to breathe with mommy? We can breathe in, we can breathe out. So these tools and strategies are effective, but they need to match your child, their personality, your personality, and most importantly, their age as well. Sometimes even just going for a walk, you know, would you like to go for a little walk outside or head out onto the balcony, have a look out at the view? What do you notice? What do you see? Just to get those emotions released, get the mind back activated into the cortex, and then we revisit how we reacted, how we responded, and what's our plan for next time. As Steph describes, heightened emotions means we are only activating that limbic system in the brain, and it is only when we are calm that we can then recapture the cortex. So a tool like Kelsa's Choice offers positive decision-making strategies. There's a couple of options for children, for parents, for teachers to try and implement together. And so we work on these strategies and building them to be effective for us as an individual. Something else that we use that is really helpful are the zones of regulation by Leah Cupers. Um, the zones of really regulation are great in terms of a visual connection to uncomfortable emotions. They are a great tool for adults and for children. I'm currently feeling that I'm in the red zone right now. Mommy feels really frustrated. I think I'm in the red zone. That means mommy needs to go and have a sip of tea. And when mommy is ready, then we are going to talk about what has happened. I want to get down to our blue zone or I want to get back down to our green zone before we have a conversation together. Some of our younger children, our nursery twos, are able to describe their emotions by these colors. Oh, you know, Miss Tracy, I think I'm really feeling a bit blue, you know, today. I'm feeling a bit sad. I feel a bit disappointed. I upset my friends. I'm not quite sure how to make this feeling go away so I can get back into a green zone. So this is very effective for many ages. It is a great vocabulary tool and to build on that bank of emotional vocabulary and expanding on the happy, sad, angry, and mad, because those are not, the, not only uncomfortable emotions that we have, we can be irritated, we can be frustrated. So these are some lovely tools that uh, we wanted to share with you today. Um, something for you to explore with your family to see if it works for you. And ultimately, mom and dad, you must decide if this is something that works for your family, for your unit, if it's something that works for your child specifically. And then you can connect with your class teachers and see how you can weave it in together if you do find useful tools like this. So we need to be kind to ourselves, acknowledge these moments of challenge that we can turn into successful changes together with our child and be really brave to express uncomfortable emotions with your child. Be comfortable to share how you are feeling because it just normalizes emotions. It becomes something more transparent and open and they are able to really feel that emotion or this feeling is accepted no matter how bad it might look 
or feel or sound. So as a final question, we'll be looking at how we support children with these feelings. So those tips and those strategies and those techniques. How do we help calm and regulate our child? These are all exactly things that can help and bring them to the balcony. Yeah. Yes. Um, to see some nature. Drinking water. That is a fabulous yeah. yeah, get down to their eye level, be their car. That one reminds me of, I always think of myself as the rock or the tree that's rooted when the storm is like going like this and I'm like I'm just going to be stationary and stick my heels in and just be the rock that they need right there now. There you go, yes. So some of the stuff that we're about to share with you is actually some of you are already using which is amazing. I thought something about having chocolate afterwards that was brilliant. <laughs> that's to help replenish the stores of energy that they just expended, absolutely. <laughs> So before we go into our list of tips and tricks, we just wanted to share at this point the biggest and the most effective thing you can do to help calm your child or help them solve their problems is to listen. About 80% of problems could be solved by, by helping them process their emotions. So listening really is the greatest gift that we can give them in the moment. So the most talked about form of listening from Thomas Gordon, which is the, the psychologist that uses the 12 roadblocks of communication, he calls it active listening which is all about decoding the feelings that your child is trying to say. So they might not say, they might not say, they might just use their body language to show you that something's not okay, but you're trying to decode the feeling with them so that they can release it somehow. And we're gonna spend the last few minutes um, just going through some tips and tricks, which I think parents really want um, to hear about what, how to actually calm your child and help them release their emotions. So what do we do in the moment of a big meltdown, Tracy? What do you recommend? So absolutely, first and foremost, is we need to just de-escalate the situation. Um, being calm doesn't mean being quiet. It means that we are able to hold a conversation together, um, that our bodies are no longer overwhelmed, and all those sensations have come, calmed down a little bit more, and we are then able to discuss it together. How to help children when they are damaging things or hurting others, so absolutely your family agreement or your house rules needs to take priority in the situation. I can see you are angry, but you are also hurting your body. So I'm going to remove this toy from your body so that you stop hurting yourself. And then you can let your feelings out. And when you are ready, I will pass it back to you. So safety um, takes the priority in any situations, absolutely for themselves for yourself as well, if there's any bumping on your body and for others. So definitely that needs to come in as a, I'm sorry, this is our family agreement. We don't hurt anyone else's body. We are not gonna do that right now. Maybe what we can do is just have some space so that you are safe and mommy and daddy are also safe. A calming space or a calm corner is a great way to really de-escalate situations. So things like having a music player, if your child really enjoys music, having their cuddly toy that's there that really helps him to settle, favorite books for them to read by them or with you, coloring in as some of the moms suggested in the Menti Now, and some lovely to incorporate the whole body and all our senses. So some great um, smells or scents that are around. Maybe we want to go and smell the flowers outside, have a few breaths, and then when we're ready, we can have a chat. So after a meltdown, 
This can be a bit later on in the day, as Stephanie has shared already, or even the next day. Nighttime, bedtime, bath time are great moments to unpack uh, plans with your child for next steps. So that is when you can really work together and find ways to de-escalate calm and plan next steps if we do feel this way again. I've got just three more tips. So if, if your child is just sharing a problem with you, so there's not necessarily a huge meltdown, it's just something that's bothered them at school from that day. So not all children need to be kicking and screaming to, to need to be heard. So there are three really practical tips from Adele Faber's famous how to talk, how to listen so your kids will talk. So the first one is instead of denying the emotion, name the emotion. So yes. some parents think that an uncomfortable emotion when named can make them feel worse, but actually it helps to just validate the feeling then sometimes that can just go away. So for example, my mouse just died, <coughs> my child might be really sad. Instead of saying don't cry, it's only a mouse, we'll get you yeah. another one. Um, it's really hard to lose a pet. That can be really sad when you love something. That could be enough. I mean, probably not just one sentence, it'll probably take a little bit more, but that's really powerful. One parent shared with us pre beforehand that their child is scared of bugs and loud noises. So a simple something like the bug that flew in the window just then gave you a really big fright. Yeah, you didn't expect that was gonna happen. And then you wait for them to unleash. The next one is instead of questions and advice, acknowledge what they're feeling with a word. So this is kind of an invitation to speak. So for example, standard in my house, I can't find my Pokemon cards. I'll go, oh dear. And then you might go, oh, I think I might have left him in my room, or I think I left him on the bus, or I think, and then he might retrace the steps without me going, well, I told you that, you know, if you keep holding them, of course you're gonna spread them around the house. Yeah. So just a simple, uh-huh, or oh dear, mm. see what they come up with. Mm. And the last one is, instead of long explanations, you can give them a wish or a fantasy. I really recommend you try this one, it can be really powerful. So this morning we ran out of strawberry jam and peanut butter, um, true story and, I, and something I didn't do but I could do I could have done with hindsight is I wished I had peanut I wish I had strawberry jam and I wish we had a strawberry plant right here and I could just have a huge pot and just make you and, he, and then my son went or it could be as big as a tree yes. jam pot as big as a tree and then it kind of just he, then he just let it go the disappointment of mommy having not put that on the shopping list so it's worth a shot and that sums up our last discussion question. So Tracy, I'll just do a close. Lovely, thank you, Steph. So this for us absolutely has been a really powerful conversation. Great to have these talks together. If you have some moms and dads with friends around you, talk about these strategies, talk about what you've noticed, be really open about it. Um, and thank you for being open and honest with us as well. This has really helped us to frame our conversation to get today. And we are grateful to all of you moms and dads for joining us. Thank you for being here. Thank you to Stephanie for being a co-host with me as well. We hope you ultimately walk away with at least one or many ideas or just a bit of information that really helps you with your next steps as a family unit. So I'm afraid that this is all the time we have today and it's sped right through. I didn't even feel that hour go by, Steph. I'm not sure if you feel the same way. It was really amazing. Just flew by. Yes. Thank you so, so much everyone for joining us. Absolutely. Really
we do have another webinar coming up on the 17th of May. It is a Tuesday and the topic is about sibling squabbles, which I'm sure will really capture many families. Uh, remember to sign up if you would like to hear some strategies for problem solving with sibling conflicts in a peaceful and mindful way. We also have loads of information on our parenting section on our website. Um, the website is called parenting.eatonhouse.edu.sg. So you can access all our eBooks, our guides, podcasts, and any articles regarding parenting directly from that website. So thank you again to everybody. Take care, be safe, and happy mindful parenting. Bye. Thanks, Tracy. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Steph.